Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Here we go. It is time for an episode. It is time for an interview. Who do I have here today? I got to tell you about him. He is a powerhouse, a powerhouse of marketing leadership. He's an entrepreneur. He's a professor to the stars, a longtime veteran of the marketing world, a man who has done it all, but keeps doing more. President at Zaslow Marketing Group, Brian Zazzle. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Casey. How are you today? I'm glad to be with you. Yeah, good, man. Good, uh, man. I, we We got prepped on some amazing topics. I can't wait to get into it. And so with that, I'm going to pick this thing up. It's kind of heavy though, but I know you work out. Ugh. All right. Here, grab this. It's Thor's hammer. You got it? I got it. All right. You got it. Wow. One-handed. That's impressive, sir. The other uh, hand's not working Thor's right hammer. now. Okay. <laughs> take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. I will, Casey. So let's smash that myth. The marketing myth that needs to be rebutted today is a myth that I've seen too many times, and it doesn't have to be that way. And the myth is that good marketing alone will solve your revenue and growth needs and problems. It just doesn't happen that way. No way, no how. Marketing in isolation, working in a vacuum will not succeed. So I ask all marketers, take off your blinders, Take a 360 degree look around your business and break out of that marketing department because working with the rest of your business or your client's business is the key to success. Boom, Mike, Mike drop. I think we just end the show now. What do you think? I think that we just, we just, uh, but we probably worried some people. So maybe we should, we should help them figure that sort this thing out. I love this. The idea of we're in isolation. We're wearing these blinders. You said break out of that, of that silo. Why, why, why does this exist? Why is this a problem? Why do we all think marketing alone will solve all of our woes? I don't know why, Casey, but I've experienced it. I've done it myself. I've learned from my mistakes. And I guess it's because we think that we know marketing. But there's so much more to marketing than just marketing strategy or marketing tactics. Marketing has to work within the framework of a business so that the consumer at the end of the day can have a great experience and the company can be profitable and build revenue and growth. So to do that, you have to really work marketers really more critical than I think most departments hand in hand with business leaders and all other functions, whether it's operations, IT, sales, finance, supply chain, even legal, to make sure that what you're developing and planning on the marketing side can be planned and executed properly. And you can get to the end in terms of providing the customers with what they need. I think marketers must collaborate more than others to be cross-functional. Yeah, 100% on the cross-functional side. Uh, I, maybe the challenge is that marketing can do so much. I, you, you mentioned we all sometimes think, oh, I know marketing, but what a great reminder that Marketing is one of those big elephants in the room. It's a behemoth. There's branding, there's, there's design, there's digital marketing, there's, there's every little part of digital marketing, there's retargeting, there, there's countless things I haven't mentioned, print and, and TV, there's, there's so much to it that you can't possibly know it all. And it has to be connected to the company. And I think maybe, maybe it's that it, it, because there's so much to it, 
I was thinking about this just now. There's so much to it. If you pick your favorite eight things of marketing that you do, you're probably forgetting the other 16 that are really important too. So it's like this impossible, you can't possibly get it all inside under one coat. You know, it's like the kids trying to pick up all the candy. You can't get all the candy in your hands. You need other people's hands to help pick up the candy because it's just, there's too much of it. Is, is this, have you seen this? I have seen it. I've experienced it. You know, very easy example could be, okay, let's just do social media. Let's put an ad out there for our product. Well, let's just say you're great at doing that. Yeah. You get it. You get demand. You get people clicking in and they want to buy whatever you're selling. But maybe you don't have enough in stock. Or maybe you don't have enough distribution for the southeast part of the country. Or maybe you don't have it in your IT system the right way. Or, you know, anything like that that you needed to look at and plan in advance. You know, I can tell you a story about a situation that I had in a corporation I worked yeah. at where I was new to the business. And I, I really learned by doing and some great people taught me about this. But it was a uh, multi-brand distribution company in the refreshments industry, coffee, coffee business. And we wanted to add a new brewing system and new K-cups. And strategically, it made sense. This is the way the business was going. And the numbers would dramatically boost our business. But the operator said, no way, I don't want to do that. Why? It's a low margin business. So the first thing a marketer needs to do is you need to know your numbers. So I work with finance to do a P&L before I talk to the operators to make sure that they understood. You don't take margin to the bank. You take dollars to the bank. And we were going to bring in more dollars. So that was really the factor there that really was an impact. But then, you know, what are the other things that you have to do besides all the marketing things? Well, you had to make sure that we had the right SKUs for both U.S. and Canada for this business. Did we have storage space in our warehouses for both the SKUs and the equipment? Before we went to market, what was training and HR going to do in terms of training both our sales and installation team on these new products and services? And if we set up with IT the new items in our system for inventory, billing, depreciation, all of those things that matter because... You don't want to be short-circuited if you have a great idea for a marketing program. Your designs are good. Your logos are good. Your promotion is good. Your salespeople have nice stuff. But if you can't deliver at the end of the day, internally and externally, it doesn't do anyone any good. So I've been through that. And uh, it, it's really important to make sure that the collaboration is there with everyone else. Yeah. Amazing to think that you can do all this work and it gets to the end user and they're like, no. We don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. I, I, I had something like that happen to me where um, we had these fancy fangled dangled landing pages. And um, this is back in the day before landing pages were even a, a thing thing. And so it was pretty, pretty slick. We were driving a ton of paid uh, leads, you know, spending a lot on AdWords and having those leads come in. And they're all you know, going into these landing pages, getting filled out, going right to the CRM. But then we're at some meeting and one of the big VP mucky mucks, uh, he was more of the data guy. Uh, I, I don't know how many VPs this, this is a big company, but he was like, okay, well, we looked at the, uh, the, the leads that came in and it looks like the leads that come in off the website organically, they convert um, dramatically. They've converted like 80% more than these PPC leads that are like barely ever converting tiny 3% conversion rate. Um, and he's in, in, so this was a mystery. And then the dot, dot, dot that started happening 
uh, with the, the bigger marketing powers, and this was, I was not the marketing power at the time, uh, was, well, you know, the form on the organic site is gigantic. And the form on the landing page is pretty small. And yes, it was small, it was efficient, it was converting people. And so some people decided, well, maybe it's because we ask more questions, we just get better people. Tell you what, why don't we change all of our forms to be these giant, giant, and these are giant, like, wow. like I don't know, 25, you, it's almost like post-sales questions to try to try to be able to have you do everything pre-sale. Why don't we have 25 field forms on our landing pages too with the, with the AdWords? And I was like, hold up, pause, <laughs> let me investigate. This sounds completely irrational. Um, and so I went looking around, but I had to do what you were saying, which was I had to go to a different floor where the sales team was. Then I hung out with them. I don't know if I brought them candy or soda or something. That's smart. That's smart. I just hung out and sat with them and, and they were doing their thing and I'm just watching them hanging out. And then I noticed that a lead comes in and it was from PPC and they're kind of ignoring it. And they're like, not even, um, and they're like, oh, this other lead though, that one, ooh, let's pounce on that one. So I, I started asking the questions, come to find out they didn't know that there was a smaller form on the PPC side, they thought everyone had the ability to answer 25 questions. And these jerks over in the PPC land only answered four. So they must not be good leads at all. So sales was self-selecting to not call. Like they wouldn't even call them because they seemed like shitty leads. So they'd be like the, the bottom of the barrel. They weren't even calling these leads. And yet we've been spending thousands of dollars getting them because they thought that these people were just like not as interested. <laughs> they sure. didn't realize that they didn't have an they didn't have an opportunity to fill in 25. And so, you know, that changed all of our minds. But if I hadn't gotten out of sales or out of marketing land, you know, to go down to sales to find out that somebody didn't tell, pass a memo, nobody wrote a memo, you know, to say, hey, this is how it is. And you know, sales, they God bless them. They're just going after the deals. And you know, I would do the same thing if I was in their shoes if no one told me. Exactly. I think that's yeah. a good example of what I'm talking about. I guess we've both seen it in many places, whether it's a uh, client that you have or a company that you're working for. It's really important that you become high touch. And I think I say st step out of your comfort zone to be able to make sure that you know all the roles that are going on. So examples of that can be, you know, is there a call center tied to your business and how are they answering the phone? Do they know about the upcoming promotion? Do they know the right price points? Can they schedule the right appointments if you're going out there, uh, if they do scheduling? Uh, are they trained on the product in case people have questions? Have they experienced it? Let them try the new coffee. Let them try the new brewer yeah. in this example so that they can really have that personal connection to it. You 100%. know, you just, it, it really matters. It really matters. And I find that you do get the most success when it's integrated. Yeah, oh, 100%. Now, but we can say these stories all day. So I want to now, Brian, say like, do you have some I, some tactical tips for us? Like, how can you integrate? How can you, practically speaking, break out of this myth and start integrating? Sure. I think it's important to be able to know what to do. And yeah. I, I'd say there's a few ways you can do that as I think about it. I've, I've talked about it a little, but I would say the first one I would call don't isolate, collaborate. If you keep marketing in a vacuum, you will fail. You just can't do it yourself. You have to know 
what everyone else is doing. So the second part is really get a deep understanding of what the rest of your business does and how it integrates with marketing. Invest your time with them. Don't just cursory uh, do it. Go in their department, spend time, experience what they do, and understand not only what you need from them, but what do they need from you in order to make their business, you know, their part of the business more successful. Do they need lead times for a marketing promotion that you're doing in order to order the right product from supply chain? I think about an example of, you know, a fantastic product that was out there and took everyone by storm was that Popeye's chicken sandwich. No, do tell. I didn't hear about this. Well, I think that what I understand, and again, I'm just going by what I've heard or read. I wasn't involved with it, but, you know, great product, but then they, they sold out and they didn't have enough to sell, but it wasn't for a great idea. It wasn't for great chicken because the chicken was delicious. I did try it, but it I think they had a problem with the supply of the bread. Oh, geez. Yeah. And again, you know, how does that happen? What has to be done? And then when it's done, how do you pivot and rectify it? So things like that are, uh, you know, concerning and that's what you have to do. So maybe some more ways to smash the myth. Find out about the people you have to work with in the other apartments. Who are they as people? You know, it's really a people business, no matter what we do. And you're not going to be able to do it, you know, uh, without having a relationship with people and building trust. Another way that I say can be successful to smash the myth, get in the field and experience your business in a hands-on manner, whether it's retail, factory, manufacturing, going to a client location, get out in the field. I found that was the best way to do it. And I learned from people that there's no way you're going to be successful in this company in the tower. That's what they said. Get out of the tower, get in the field. And they were so right. You talked about this, but I said, go on sales calls. If you can go on a sales call and visit a client location and understand client needs and understand a salesperson's needs and what they do with what you provide to them from a marketing perspective, you're going to be a better marketer. And maybe finally is really track the customer experience in your business and see who touches it and who it's dependent upon, because that's what you're really responsible for. But you have to know all the steps along the way as far as what happens. And then you're able to make decisions and make recommendations that are appropriate for that. So those are some ways that I think we can handle it. This is brilliant, man. Um, I am slightly overwhelmed though, because it seems like there's a lot. I don't think it's a lot. I mean, if you think about it, Casey, I think it's just a matter of how do you handle your business? And what I'm just saying is be practical and do the things that you would need to do on a day-to-day basis that way. You know, don't sit at your computer all the time. Invest the time in the rest of the business. And it won't be overwhelming. Just follow the steps along the way that you developed as as a marketer, but make sure you know who touches it and what touches it and get involved with it. No surprises. Man, getting out of the office. First of all, let's just say that's fun, actually. This is <laughs> and, what I enjoyed about marketing. Absolutely. And so, so many times, I mean, I like to rail against people hiding behind their apps, you know, because I'm a, I'm a marketing tech guy, but man, come on, people like tech, tech is like, you can learn more from a, I think I got like coffee with someone in five minutes into the customer conversation. It's like, oh my gosh, now I, I completely understand. Whereas I thought I did before and I actually realized I, I knew nothing. I was Jon Snow prior to that, that conversation. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think the best thing that I learned from the franchise business is the best ideas come from the field. 
And oh, I yeah. worked a lot of times in the franchise business and I've also been a franchisee. So I understand that if you're in a big organization like the franchise business, individual franchisees can have great ideas. Individual operators and corporations can have great ideas. And a lot of things can be rolled up. And if you're in your office, you're not going to have the relationship with them. You're not going to build the trust with them to know that they can actually make you a better marketer. Uh, what, what is it about getting out there, getting in their office? Uh, one time we, I, man, that was like a sales call or something, but somebody on my team brought gourmet donuts. It was in Chicago. And it was, mm-hmm. it was, of course, I had just decided to not eat donuts like two days prior. And the universe is <clears throat> rewarding me by making me stare at them for the entire sales call or, or whatever it was. But it just, there's something about having those real conversations. I feel, I feel like we don't really... And that hands-on experience is so critical because I think the gap for me is that we don't understand the customers. We, we, not just the organization, but we don't even understand where they're coming from. You know, and why is that? Do you think? I think it's because as we were younger, and we should actually smash this myth as well with yeah. younger people that we're developing, is that no one told us that this was a way to success or this is the way that you do your job well. It was more about the technical aspects of marketing versus the hands-on and practical ways that the marketing needs to be done. And I really think you have to have the balance of both. You have to be a sound technical marketing uh, person, but you also have to be a person who's practical, hands-on and realistic about business. And I really think that business and marketing always need to come together. And that's the way that you're going to have a successful business really driven by successful marketing. Yeah. If I think of like a triangle, business, marketing, and then the people, I think we need to regain our little skills. I saw some reports saying that we're getting worse at EQ or empathy or just understanding more about each other, probably because we're looking at their updates sign off of Facebook people. Come on. Like, right. No, I out there, shake someone's hand, you know, is there, all that, are there any events? Have you, have you seen any marketing events coming back? Are we still virtual these days or I've been actually, as we say, getting back into the field right now. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing a lot of one-on-one uh, coffees and lunches with people. It's been, it's been wonderful because it's a chance to pick people's brains and get back to see what's going on and really learn about uh, industry events and uh, seminars or conventions or trade shows that are that are going on. I see them picking up again, but where I've been spending my time has been with either my networking groups or with individuals that I've just lost contact with, but I wanna have a little more of that high touch. And uh, I've been out to see them recently. Something about breaking bread, right? Or, or just clinking your glasses together to, you can only talk about work for so much. And then it's, tell me about you, you know? Who it's are exactly you right. It's exactly right. And you know, whether it was the franchisees that I worked with, or if it was the operators in a corporation, or the supply chain people, here's the thing. If you've developed a relationship with them, and you disagree, or you need to get something done, you know, and you're at a tie, or you're at a deadlock. Well, if they trust you, and they know that your, your, your intentions are good, because they've already gotten to know you, and they understand your DNA. Well, you know what? 
um, you're going to win on the tie. Well, the tie goes to the base runner. Is that it? I don't even know what that thing is, but you're going to get the tie and you're going to get the benefit of the doubt more than anything. Why? Because you built the relationship and they know who you are and you've already, you're in that trust bank for them. And I think that that's just so important, not only internally, but I guess that's how businesses need to operate with their customers on a bigger level. Yeah. Something, something about that. Um, I don't, I don't know where I was going <laughs> to, I was like, uh, it, tell me more. <laughs> well, I just think that it's just, uh, it's kind of the, the way you, way to do business. I mean, it's always been how my process has been. I've been fortunate that I've worked with good people who have taught me this. And I've always felt that I've tried to teach other people this, you know, I call it the 360 degree approach. And you really have to see what's all around you and what are going to be the impacts both internally and externally in terms of how you need to manage your business. There's factors that are both outside your company and inside your company that affect things. And you can handle them, you know, quantitatively, you can handle them uh, qualitatively, but you also have to really focus on them in terms of understanding from someone else's point of view or from their department's point of view so that you can understand their needs, their goals, their objectives, and make sure they marry with what you're trying to accomplish so that you can be on the same page. Yeah, 100%. Does that help? No, that does. Yeah, that yeah. And I think where I was going with that, I was I was stuck on the baseball metaphor. And I was like, yeah, baseball, oh. you know, like, like, yeah bacon and you're like nothing but bacon exists anymore <laughs> you get distracted but uh, yeah the idea of that is just that is how to do business because if you have a relationship you, you give them the benefit of the doubt without that then people tend to assume the worst about each other a lot of people do or at least you don't trust and you know just trust is not by default um and then we just assume you're trying to screw us over uh whereas if you know the person you're like no that 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 can't be that's not good that can't be but it's not can't be on purpose so let me let me call them up let me see what they're saying let me see what's up and then of course if you get on the phone and you have a relationship they are going to be horrified that that you experienced that too like oh my gosh no no i didn't want you to experience that uh, we're, we're going to fix it right away because we have a relationship absolutely and you know the other part of it casey that i was thinking about that ties together with this is that it's always important as well to as you're developing a marketing program to get that advanced buy-in from people. And I think Mm -hmm. that goes hand in hand with understanding people's roles and departments. But as we talked about earlier, no surprises, there's a way that you need to manage to make sure that it's a win-win for everyone. And I also think that they need to know along the way what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish so that it's not gonna be an extra burden on them. It's not gonna be in contradiction of what they're doing. Uh, it's not going to be illegal, let's say for your legal department, and you're not going to have any uh, impact, whether it's going to be with another brand that you're working with or an exclusive arrangement or, you know, whatever it can be. But, you know, making sure there's no surprises and you have buy-in, whether it's from your internal uh, partners or a client, is really important to get up front. I've done that wrong so many times. I love to come in and break and smash things and fix things. Um, but then you realize that there's people tied to those things and, and a little bit of buy-in goes a long way. Absolutely. Um, you can't, you can't drag your customer kicking and screaming into the cashier and you, you, you can't drag your team, you know, kicking and screaming to the, the end in the end goal. You just, you have to get 
we have to work together, you know? I'll tell you, I'll tell you one that happened to us and I won't name any names, but worked with a client. No names? We, Come on. No names, no company. Build the tea, Brian. We're here in the protect the innocent. <laughs> but um, the example is important. We worked with a company that wanted to do a new uh, rebranding campaign, new image campaign. And uh, we developed a slew of commercials. They invested a lot of money, but our client never got the buy-in from his senior management or his peers and walked out on stage at their national meeting and launched this. Wow. Launched the campaign without any buy-in. And whether it was a good campaign, whether it was strategic or not, because he didn't have the buy-in, not one of those commercials ever made it on air and we lost the business. Wow. Yeah. Did he get fired? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. He damn yeah, right. He well, did. What, do you, what would you yeah. do? Were they good but, commercials? And they were. They you were, put them they together. Were, they were great commercials. Absolutely. That, that kind of sucks, man. Yeah, you were carless commercials. It wasn't a good day. What the hell? Um, you know, it, it reminds me actually of the, I was chatting with Brandon um, Roden. He was the CMO of Wendy's for a bit. And he talked to me about the Got Beef. I don't know if you knew this, but Got Beef only ran for like a week. Because the board of directors was nervous that it was too, it was it was too much out there. Like, oh, that's that's almost rude, you know, to ask where's the beef. Right. Yeah, it is. Well, there's no beef in those McDonald's hamburgers. So, but it's accurate uh, and memorable. <laughs> yeah, memorable. But but we here we know it years, decades later, and they only ran it for a week, and it was too it was too nerve wracking for them. But they turned it off. And I didn't they, know that. Great. I mean, just like your commercial, you you could have had the next God beef. It'll never see the light of day. I remember it, and it was you good. Remember it. <laughs> you remember it. Um, well, tell me about commercials. I don't know anything about commercials. Commercials. Uh, I thought that was a fun part of the business. It was a chance for you to summarize what your message was mm. and take it to market and attract the attention to your brand, to your product, your service, to be able to get people to do the desired action that you wanted them to do. Remember to buy, to refer, whatever it's going to be. And obviously, you know, traditional commercials are still there, but there's so many other ways that you can, you know, communicate an advertising message now, whether it's on uh, digital media in a very brief message that you, you know, versus a traditional, let's say 30 second format or 60 seconds on radio, but all the digital formats now is just, you know, so quick, but you have to really accomplish the same things. So it's hard to do. It's fun yeah. to do. And um, I, I felt my time working in the ad agency business was extremely rewarding and some of the, some of the best times that I had. Yeah. hundred percent. I, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, I love the creative side of that. And I've seen so many terrible commercials. My wife and I are, are always like, we could do better than that. Why are they so bad? Why are there so many bad commercials? Tell me this, Brian. Well, uh, I guess that's why there's Baskin and Robbins. Everyone has a different taste, you know? So what you hate, I might like. Okay. Or uh, things like that. But, you know, there's some that are not the best. But I just think it's subjective. Uh, my thought always when I was in advertising as an account manager was I really wasn't the person responsible for judging whether a commercial was good or not, quote unquote. My responsibility was if it was on strategy, 
And then it was the creative team's responsibility to develop the execution that would be, you know, informative, entertaining, exciting, all the things that you're trying to accomplish. But I couldn't be the creative judge. I had my own opinions. Every once in a while, I would share them. But at the end of the day, that's what their job was. And that's where you had to have the trust that they were doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of hope that it's subjective. Like when you see a Super Bowl commercial, it just seems so flat. And you're just like, man, that was that seemed like the lamest thing ever. My marketing mind just hopes and prays to God that there is some demographic out there that was like, that's my commercial. <laughs> exactly right. We're I not always so. the target audience for the items that we work on. Right. Or that we see. Right. Uh, like, I hope that commercial hits somebody. Please same, tell me. Same thing when you're watching a commercial. You're saying, why is this on right now? Yeah. Why am I seeing this? So, right. uh, you know, you just wonder about the strategies in terms of uh, whether it's media selection or the creative process. And, you know, these days, the influencer marketing is just interesting to me. The idea that I'm going to quickly scroll through or I even pay YouTube. So I don't have to see the stupid commercials, but in the end, you know, watching someone hold up a can of bang, destroying, doing some cool football moves. He's like doing his little bang thing. He has got his promo code, but I keep seeing this guy. He's cool. And he's, he's hustling. He's trying to get back in the NFL. And I'm thinking I should try one of these energy drinks. Have you tried one? I've tried a few of them, but, uh, weird flavors, right? They're not for me. I'm not a fan, but, uh, you gotta find the right flavor. You you gotta go for the uh, rainbow unicorn. Oh, I'll have to look that one up. Try that one. Okay. Or the, uh, there, there's like a red, white, and blue one that tastes like a bomb pop. Oh, okay. Like the frozen ones. Yeah. That's all the flavors melted together. Kind of. Okay. I would try that. Yeah, I would definitely try that. Yeah. Influencers, the way that they do things, I think it's uh, very interesting. And some people have gotten really good at doing that. And, uh, you know, you just think about it in terms of uh, how they're impacting on clients and how they're impacting on businesses and, uh, you know, what value they have from brands moving forward. And there's risk and reward for that. And uh, you have to balance those types of things. Yeah, it's a hell of a hard time to track that, too. Poor destroying out there. You know, I didn't shop off his cart. I just pulled it out of the local market right across the way here. You know, how, how do you, you can't track that. So how do you, I mean, how do you address that? I know you're, you're a fractional CMO, you're a CMO to the stars, you're working with different companies. You encounter a situation like this where you have influencers driving you business, but there's no direct correlation. You don't have that sticky UTM parameter that kind of follows their digital campaign everywhere. Right. Well, I think it's always a matter of, you know, determining what are you going to measure that's important? Is it the measurements of the media? Some of those are very important. Or is it the measurements of uh, your sales results? And is it going to be your, your calls, your completions? What's going to be the variables that you're going to track? Uh, so I think that's really how you have to look at it based upon an individual business and determine up front what's going to be important to measure. I've been of the feeling that sometimes, and maybe this goes back, Casey, that we talked about earlier, you can sit in front of your computer all day and measure every single data point. But if you're not doing anything with it or you know, prioritizing what are the data points that are going to drive your business forward, either that you can save money by not doing it again or spend more money to get a consistent, you know, better result on the data that's working. Just, yeah. just narrow it down, but share it with people who need to know so that you can do things with it. 
And I think that goes back to the whole dealing with other people and other departments and taking the data, but knowing that that's not the only part of what your job is. Right. Right. What about franchises? Not only do I not know anything about commercials other than watch them, other than eating at them, I don't know anything about franchises. What is it like to market for a franchise? It's great. You know, really? it's, uh, it's interesting. It's uh, in many cases, it's B2B and B2C advertising at the same time. Uh, you're dealing with an organization that's a franchisor who their, their role is they're trying to sell more franchises. So that's the B2B side of it. They're trying to get more people into their system. And you can work with them on that part of it, which is the franchise development side to help them grow their system. And they generate revenue through both franchise fees and royalty income. And then you can work on the work with the franchisees or with the franchisors as far as their product. So whether it's mufflers or whether it's donuts or whether it's uh, water ice or whatever the product might be, then you can work on something that in a lot of cases is consumer focused, whether a product or a service, a lot of things in home repair or home improvement or in the franchise industry. Gotcha. What I like about it is I think it's one of the greatest things in our country that gives people an opportunity to be independent as a franchisee, to you know, um, build their own build their own business and uh, create a, uh, an opportunity for them financially for multiple generations that can have a successful business. A lot of it is family business. And right. the franchisees that I've worked with have been some of the most interesting and best clients and friends that I've worked with over the years. I mean, it's developed those kinds of nice relationships. And uh, it's an exciting industry that really did well during the pandemic. And it's continuing to do well now as well, because people are seeing that as an opportunity to control their own destiny versus working for a corporation. Kind of the best of both worlds, right? You don't have the big corporation, but yet you do, but it's there to help you as opposed to <clears throat> tell you how to run your deal. Exactly. And I pivoted out of the corporate world uh, and was a franchisee for about six years uh, with a partner. I was a Krispy Kreme Donuts franchisee. Mm. So for uh, seven years, uh, we had the stores here in the Philadelphia area and ran them and, you know, developed the stores, built them, found the locations and then ran the franchise business every day uh, in terms of providing sweet treats to our, uh, our customers across the Delaware Valley. Wow. How many donuts did you eat during that period of time? Too many. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of it, though, was I guess one of the biggest satisfactions I ever got was I never expected to be in the donut business. I had to go to training and I trained in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, at one of the Krispy Kreme donut stores down there. Oh, wow. And I had to live there for like a month and they taught me everything about the business. I also trained in Austin, Texas. But the first day that I ever was able to make donuts from scratch to make it, it came out right. It came off the line and I ate the donut that I made. That was the greatest experience ever. Hell yeah. So they're really great when they come off the line, hot and fresh. And I always said that I was working when I was eating the donuts because I had to know how they tasted. So, you know, you can believe your own excuses, can't you? Yeah, man. That sounds like a dangerous business again. <laughs> well, quality check. On aisle four, exactly. let's, let's check this out. Uh, I bet exactly. they, when they're hot and fresh, I mean, you can't, like they blow Dunkin' Donuts out of the water. But the question is when they sit a while, now who wins? Dunkin' Donuts, 
or Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme always wins. Yeah, well, I, I can understand your bias. <laughs> I understand, but I think a taste test is in order. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do you have any books you recommend to a lot of people? I tell you a good book that I think people should look at because it's a uh, it's a good step back in terms of understanding um, a whole different aspect of branding. Mm. It's a book called The Human Brand by Chris Malone. Chris is a former colleague of mine and someone who is now a client I do some work for. But he wrote a book called The Human Brand, and it's really a study in how warmth and competence impact consumers' decisions on brands. So how do those emotions impact on people's buying decisions and how do they impact on trust and loyalty? And I think that it's a very, very important thing to do because people buy for different reasons and there's different businesses that you know you have an emotional connection with. So what are some of the cliches, but they're true? You know, I hate my cable company. You know, uh, I love this store. I, I hate utility companies, you know, whatever it might be, you know, people have emotions that are based upon the brand. Yeah. You know, I love Netflix, you know, and whatever it could be, the emotions. Well, people base these based upon how the companies act towards them and their messaging. And really, this is a book that I think would be good for people to read and learn a little bit more about warmth and competence and really how it affects things. I love that. Because you can have warmth without competence. You can have competence without warmth. And, you know, what happens then? So it's a matter of marrying them together. hundred percent. You yeah. really do need both. Yeah. Yeah. Warmth and competence. That's interesting because uh, it kind of ties into, you know, a lot of times the core values companies I create is usually we care, we have fun and we get things done. And I see, I see some competence in there and I see some warmth in there uh, and that you do need that both. And if you don't have that, first of all, it's not a great place to work at as a brand, but also your customer experience is completely different. Absolutely. You're yeah. on the right track as you explain that. Yeah. And sometimes you just want a little warm, <clears throat> just want a little warmth people. Just, you know what? Chick-fil-A. There you go. Chick-fil-A. Super nice people in the parking lot getting rained on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and they're just friendly and, you know, I, I get it. You get trained to be friendly, but at the same time, you know, eventually you, you own it, <laughs> you know, right. and, and it doesn't take a little bit to just be friendly. And the first thing you say to someone's like, how are you doing? As opposed to 1595, <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, one person's like, here's the number. The other person's like, how are you as a person? And that chicken sandwich is freaking good. So they got, they got them both nailed. Whereas some of their, their friends on the, on the other side, not so, not so good. Not right. So good. Think about banking and you think about all the banks, that's commodity products. Oh, good call. Every, yeah. every bank offers the same thing, but same thing. You know, all banks have different levels of warmth and competence and how you trust them and how loyal you're going to be to them. Are you going to be a long-term customer or is it merely transactional? Yeah. You know, how does your relationship with them and what have they done to develop you as a lifetime customer? Yeah. So, you know, that's really where I think the opportunity is going. It's a good read. Do you, do you have a particular bank that, gives you warmth and competence um no i don't oh, okay I, I i really i can't say that i do uh i think that's why maybe i brought up the example yeah but I, I look at the banks as you know at least the ones that i've worked with are very impersonal 
Um, if you think about kind of the warmth, you can get on the phone with them and you go through voicemail hell in terms of trying to communicate with people. They want to ask you six questions before you even can ask, you know, them what you want to know. Mm-hmm. And they always want to know your zip code. So, you know, <laughs> uh, they but, only ask your zip code if you just typed it in, then they definitely. Yeah, exactly. Know your zip code. So it's the uh, Department of Redundancy Department. And it's just, you know, I, you know, I don't have a bank where I feel that way about it. But, you know, some people might have some. Well, definitely during the uh, what was the, what were those things they had for businesses during COVID? During that period of time, I definitely saw the incompetence from a lot of banks. I mean, I get it. They had a lot of these these requests, but man, did no one know what was going on. But I will say, you know, I'm actually a big fan of Schwab um, because, I mean, you don't really competence. I it's almost like Boolean for me, and that you kind of just either you're annoying me or you don't, um, and or you can get it done and you can't. You're either up or you're down. But then that warmth is is that almost that fuzzy part if you're commoditized. And you know, I've I've had phone calls with people in the call center in Denver, and they're friendly and they're super smart, and they're not in a rush to get up me off the phone. And I've sort of felt that. Yeah, I've appreciated. That's great. It, you know, well, I could say maybe in financial services, the one that I think really does the best job of that, from my personal experience, has been American Express. I think that they have both the warmth and the competence. And I've been an American Express customer for many, many years. And they don't forget that. And I think that the way that I have been dealt with, with you know, issues, opportunities, challenges, they've really come through strong in terms of both warmth and competence. So uh, you know, expanding beyond banking and maybe financial services, I would say American Express does it really well. Hmm. Good brand there. Yeah. Yeah. I have never called them. I've only done chat. Um, or maybe I've, have I called them? I've only kind of used them for when things don't go right. Like when, when your number is not being used appropriately from some third yeah. party somewhere. Um, yeah. But I think what they really do well is they've empowered their employees to be able to make decisions and to help you. Got it. You know, you don't have to be transferred to 16 different people. The person you talk to on the phone knows enough about it and has the ability to help you. Yeah. And it's, it's like one-stop shopping for the most part. And that really makes me feel good that, you know, when you call, they're going to address it. You're not going to get caught up in, you know, uh, any type of uh, distractions. Yeah. I feel like Amazon is straddling that line right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes it works out and you, but you get a man. Ha- my wife's gotten so many returns. You know, she buys something and it's like a return from someone else and it's clear and it's, not clean and you're just like come on and then it sometimes the return is don't send it back and sometimes it is due and and it's like are they going to give me a hassle or not um so it's kind of in that middle you're like i'm watching you amazon right right absolutely. rockets off and fix your app you know let's go that can happen uh i think that you know they are just over I mean, imagine the amount of packaging and amount of deliveries that they're making every day. And, uh, you know, can they catch up to the volume with all the other aspects of their business? And do they understand, you know, what's needed and what's really disturbs yeah. customers as far as part of the experience that uh, that last step along the way? How, how do they handle it? Yeah, that last mile, right? That last 10 feet. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I'm curious now, man. I want to kind of switch over a little bit. I, we've chatted a lot. I've learned a lot from you. 
had some good conversations, but who are you? Who are you? Take me back in time. Like little Brian days. What was it like growing up? You, did you always know you're going to get into marketing and have your own franchises and do all these different things and market to the stars? I had no idea, <laughs> uh, but I can tell you about little Brian. Little Brian was a good yeah. kid. He was a good kid. Uh, I grew up in the city in Philadelphia. I was a city kid and um, big, big sports fan. Uh, was really focused in on uh, really enjoying sports. I've been a lifetime Philadelphia Eagles fan from Ooh. a young age. No, <laughs> no, no. And uh, I've been very lucky that I've had season tickets since college. Wow. And uh, a little Brian liked football and I was jealous of my neighbors because they had season tickets. And every Sunday they would disappear and go to the games. And this is when the home games were blacked out on TV and uh, you couldn't watch them. And then I would just wait for them to come home and talk about the game. And I said, one day, one day I'm going to get those season tickets. And uh, I was able to. But I, awesome. I used to be involved with youth groups and I was active in terms of these organizations. And I would do things like help with fundraising or promotions or dances or basketball teams, recruiting members. That's and then cool. I was doing all these things. And then I realized at one point, I guess, that this is marketing. You know, these were all little parts of aspects of marketing. And I was looking to go to college. I found out that you could study this in college and make it a career. Mm. So I said, let's do that because I like it. And I think if you like something, you can be good at it. So I went to uh, Philadelphia Textile, Philadelphia University. And actually, I was fortunate when I was there that they were just starting a marketing co-op program. And I was the first marketing co-op student that they had there. And it gave me a practical experience talking about what we did earlier uh, into marketing. And I worked in a, in a bank in Philadelphia in the oh, marketing wow. department. And uh, I think the first job there was foundational for me on shaping my career because I really worked with good people there in a small environment who trusted me. And they gave me plenty of opportunity to sink or swim, uh, you know, but good training, good teaching. And I experienced some of the things about busting the myths and living the myth that we spoke about earlier. So uh, that was a big part of me growing up in the Philadelphia area. Most of my career has been spent in this area. I did a little stint uh, in Florida for a time working in a field office of our ad agency and uh, opening up an office down there for wow. a franchise client where we were fortunate enough to get business across the state of Florida, but otherwise it's been uh, pretty much Philly all the way. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm still sore from that Super Bowl, the Patriots. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that, but you know, it was nice to take down Tom Brady. You got to win. <laughs> See, I, I was there. I was there, oh, Brian. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm <laughs> Look, sorry to hear that. I watched must the must have been a long gross, ride home. That, that gross green ticker tape, you know, fly down from the ceiling when it was all over. It should have been red and blue. <laughs> you guys have done a great job winning Super Bowls. We got the one, and uh, you have what six? Yeah, but I want I want Brady's whole hands. I want both hands to be full. You okay. know, and and yeah. Well, he, you're right. That, you're right. We should be grateful for the ones, but I was there, Brian, I was there. Um, have you, you ever thought of going to a Super Bowl? Um, I've actually been lucky enough to have been to a few of them. I, have you? That's uh, great. Which ones I you have. go to? I was at the first Super Bowl. The Eagles were in, in New Orleans. Uh, that was in, uh, I guess, uh, oh, too many years ago. But did you go to the Patriots one? Were you I there? Did go to the Patriots uh, one. 
in Jacksonville. I didn't go to the one in uh, Minnesota, but I also went to a Super Bowl just unrelated to the Eagles, but I got to go to a Super Bowl when it was, uh, I think it was the Colts and the Bears. Hmm. And the, the, the famous part about that Super Bowl was it was the only Super Bowl when it rained. So that was my luck. It rained. Gee, was it out, the was only it outdoor? outdoor Super Bowl oh, in Miami. Geez. But the great part was halftime was Prince. And he did hmm. Purple Rain in the rain. So, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> wow. performance. It was a great performance. Wow. So, uh, if you're a football fan, a Super Bowl is just so fortunate to have gone to them. 100%. A big part of what I do now with football is I like to go on road trips with my family. And we've gone to a bunch of other cities, enjoying the Eagles games and checking out the cities. And it's a nice, fun thing that we do together. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe I'll see you at the next one. <laughs> That'd be fine. We should do that. Should totally do that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I almost got to that one where the Patriots came back from like oblivion with the Atlanta Falcons. I almost went to that one. But, okay. So that's why I had to go the year after that one or the next time. It's like, well, I can't just, I don't want to be the person that was like, I should have gone to, you know, mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. So you just had to, that's great. To do it. That's great. I know it was a good experience. It was. It was. I'm glad it was an indoor stadium too. Yeah. In February in Minneapolis. I know how cold it was cold. there. Everyone shared with me how cold it was. Oh God. It was so cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, question for you. All all these really interesting experiences. Oh, oh before that, what, what are you doing now? Describe for everyone what you're do, what you're doing now. Sure. It's really well, interesting. Currently, I'm a fractional CMO, a fractional chief marketing officer, where I work for companies that don't have a CMO, and I'll work for them on a uh, part-time basis, helping them in an area that really is valuable, helping CEOs as a trusted advisor and a partner to help them accelerate growth, build sales uh, on a fractional basis. So as we talked about earlier, I kind of apply my business wisdom to marketing and my marketing wisdom to business. And uh, I work in a variety of industries and, and help people really just grow their businesses. And also, if they need it, I help run their marketing departments. Yeah. I also do projects on a project basis. And that could be strategy work, uh, could be tactical work, or whatever else my team and I can do on kind of our outsourced network to help clients meet their goals. Uh, I'm also Brilliant. starting something new, Casey, and you had yeah, mentioned, Professor, I'm going to be teaching this uh, spring at Temple University, uh, undergraduate marketing. And I'm really excited about this as it's a way for me to give back and a way for me to uh, actually keep up on things in marketing because I know that the students are going to want to know what the latest and the greatest is. So I think it's my responsibility to make sure I can share it with them. Well, you know, if you want to teach a course on marketing automation, I have a, I have a book that you can use for that. <laughs> In fact, I, I have several of them because I got them all right before COVID happened. So I haven't had a chance to hand them out. So if you need them, I'll hook you up. We'll be in touch. Yeah. We'll be in touch. Well, I got to take you back in time one more time. I have a hypothetical for you and I may have a time machine in New Hampshire. So one of these days, one of the trips you come on up, get, we'll get some beers. We'll hang out, catch up and you get to use this time machine. It goes back in time to a particular date and time. It's a, it's a few days after graduating from school and you get to meet yourself. What would you tell yourself? What kind of advice would you give yourself? Let's see. I would tell myself that uh, it was an interesting decision you made, Brian, even though you're working for a bank that you had really long hair and a beard. 
So, uh, and you wore button downs and wingtip shoes. So uh, I figured that out. But from a, from a career standpoint, I think that I would tell myself to make decisions and don't procrastinate. I think that would be good learning for me. I was really worried. And I think that I should really take more risks. I would tell myself to take more risks and make decisions that are, uh, you know, what you want people to know, not what you think they want to hear. You know, sometimes you do things and a lot of people do that. They want to tell people what you th they think they want to hear. But I think you need to tell people what they need to know. And uh, I think those are some things I would have told my younger self back then. It's brilliant. I'm writing that down. Um, where can people connect with you? They want to reach out, say hi. Maybe they need a fractional CMO. I'd be happy to talk with people. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. Uh, you can find me at my website, ZaslowMarketing.com. Okay. And uh, I'm also active on LinkedIn. And you can check out my profile there, Brian Zaslow. Uh, those would be the two best places that you could find me. I love it. All right. We'll put links to those in the show notes so people can click on through and uh, make it happen, man. Well, this, is, this has been fun. I feel like we've talked strategy. We've talked donuts. We've talked commercials just uh, all over the place, but I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it as well. It's been uh, great talking to you and uh, it's been a really, really interesting conversation, Casey. So I thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. It's been a great experience. Oh, I'm glad it has, man, because it certainly has for me. And for those people listening, if you've learned something and I freaking know you did, because I have two pages of notes over here, front and back. So if, if you're like me and you learned one thing, I learned more than that, share this with someone else, be a thought leader by just sharing good content with other people, hit that little share button and send it on, but send it to someone, maybe even on LinkedIn, but put a little description in there and tag Brian. So people know, you know, who, who is the speaker? Who was the person that was, was sharing all this knowledge that you just learned tag him. I'm sure he'll comment. I'll comment. We'll have a good comment party on LinkedIn. And that's again, how you show thought leadership to uh, the universe. And again, man, Brian, thank you. I can't thank you enough for being on here and, and schooling me. It's been great talking to you, Casey. Thank you. Awesome. Cheers, man. I totally appreciate it. And for those people listening, this has been another awesome episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.